you were here uh, last week, Easter Sunday, I shared um, actually a very, in my way of thinking, simple uh, sermon, and it was to attempt to wrap up, and I would only summarize this morning, wrap up the gospel of Jesus, and by way of summary, what I said is that Jesus died for me. And we could probably just be very quiet and contemplate all that that means for hours. Probably weeks, maybe months, and I suspect even into eternity that Jesus took my place. And secondly, you may remember, if you were here, I said Jesus not only died for me, but Jesus died as me. And that's sort of different language, I recognize, but it simply means that when Jesus died... I died. Kind of, you know, not so much spiritually, but God took something that was resident in me and took it with Him to the cross. So that when He died, I died. And therefore, Jesus died for me. Jesus died as me. And the corollary to that, sort of the other side of the coin, is that not only did Jesus die for me and as me, setting me free, but now Jesus lives. The power of the resurrection is now seen in the reality that God is no longer far off. God is no longer outside the bounds of human experience. Jesus now died for me. Jesus died as me. And now Jesus lives in me. Anybody here this morning? Huh, that should be... That is transformational knowledge that when we get it by the Spirit that Jesus lives now in me. And then finally I said, Jesus simply wants to live His life through me. If I don't understand anything else from this large compend of the revelation of God's Word knowing that He died in my place for me, that I died in Him, and that He now lives in me and for or through me, that would be enough. For that, beloved, is the distillation of good news that God from eternity sent His Son to be everything for you and for me that we could not be in and of ourselves. Well, having said that, then, I want to share this morning, as we have some time, um, from the Psalms to begin with. And uh, if you would like to turn to Psalm chapter 8, uh, here uh, the writer is contemplating God's larger design in His creation. Have you ever gone out into the night sky and just looked up? Or have you ever stood on the beach and just looked out? Or have you ever just walked through a forest and looked around and realized that God made it all and it's, it, it, sort of, it sort of shrinks you into, who am I? And that's really what the writer here uh, Presumably David was communicating, beginning at verse 3 of Psalm chapter 8. It said this, 
when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, spoken into their place. He then asked the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the sons of, not the son of man, Jesus, but the sons of men, us humans, uh, that you would be careful and interested in him. But you have made him, man, a little bit lower than the angels. Interesting Hebrew word there, and I won't get sidelined, but it's not angels. That's a Hebrew tradition. It says you have made man a little lower than Elohim. We're not God, that's not what he's saying, but he's saying something that is absolutely impactful when we understand it. God made us just a little bit lower than himself. Now, uh, for you have made him a little lower than the angels or Elohim himself, and you have crowned him with glory and with honor. Now, beloved, what I'd like to share with you this morning is that God has an original intention for each one of us When he created us, he created us, and we just read, you have crowned him with glory and with honor. God had a a massive destiny for you when he created you, and it was singularly here that God would give you the crown of his glory to walk around in. Now, we haven't defined yet what is that crown of glory and honor, uh, but we'll look a little bit further and we'll press. For, for when we ask, what is that crown of glory that God purposed for you when he crowned you with glory and honor, the answer then comes with he crowned you just a little lower than himself to carry his presence. The glory of God has been in, in the original creation story, God intended for you in your weakness, in all of your humanity, to, to walk around with an understanding that God himself has placed the crown of glory and honor of his very presence on your life and on your head. Now, what is this glory? It's the glory of his own presence. God has given to us, he has destined that we walk in that glory. Now, I'd like for you to... to to turn with me, if you want to, back to a very familiar text. It's the first couple chapters of Genesis, actually uh, Genesis chapter 1. And the question is, what is this glory, really, that he's given to us? I already said it's the glory of his presence. But let's read, uh, beginning in uh, Genesis chapter, uh, let's start at chapter 1, verse 26. Actually, it's 2, I believe, 26. Let me find chapter... Actually, it's 126. Now, God said um, in verse 26 um, of chapter 1, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And we begin to see then there the unfolding of God's destiny that intrinsic in in the Godhead was was three persons, uh, the Father 
And we learn from John's Gospel the living Word and the Spirit, the living Word to become Jesus in His incarnation. But they were together and God wanted to do something by which He intended from the very beginning of time that He wasn't satisfied with just ordaining the moon and the stars and the forest and the seas and all of the plant life and the animal life. God wasn't satisfied with just creating those things. He said, let us make man in our very image. So we see then that the image of God here, uh, being created in the very image of God, is that glory that He has placed on us. Now, we've not defined it yet. Uh, but if you look at verse 27 in that same chapter, it says, So then God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God created men and women, this man and this woman, Adam, and we know as Eve, he created them in his very own image. Now, verse 31 said, after God had created them, verse 31 says, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Now the question is, what did God see in you? That's what the psalmist was saying later on when he looked into the night sky and he said, what is man that you should be mindful of him? Why should you care about us. Well, the reality is when God created you and He created me, He looked at us and He said, verse 31, indeed, it is very good. And the question is, what is good about me that God saw? And the answer is, He saw His own reflection. God saw Himself. When God looked in the original creation, God made us just a little lower in Himself because you and I were an accurate representation. You and I were a perfect reflection of Himself. And that was a derived goodness. It wasn't because God innately made us anything. The glory of God, the honor of God, the presence of God, the image of God was given to us and it was a derived uh, God said, you're good. And what he saw, when he saw that, he saw his own reflection. Which is to say, you and I were created to carry the presence of God, to accurately reflect the presence of God, uh, to um, um, perfectly represent Him, and it's a derived glory. Now, God intended and purposed from the very beginning of time to dwell in us. And we see that now in chapter 2, uh, this time verse 7, if you're still looking at that chapter, "...and God formed man of the dust of the ground, and He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life." Which is to say, God created us for glory and honor. God created us and placed on us His own image. And image is a reflection of Himself. So what is pleasing then to God if all of His presence and glory and image is a mere reflection? See, God has made us, this is my point, to carry His presence and to reflect, to represent and or let's call it 
re-present God to the world. God intended in creation that you would carry His very presence and He saw it and He said, now that's really good. Now the original purpose, therefore, you and I were created to be physical, visual representations or expressions of God. God Himself behaving in us and living His life through us. You see, that's what it means to be in the image of God. It doesn't mean He just made you smarter than the hound dogs. It doesn't mean that He just made you a little bit different to feel like other uh, species that He created. That you're that. That's not the image of God. What does image mean? You see, the fact of the matter is that image actually means, in the Hebrew, uh, the image means it's an accurate reflection. Image. In the, in the New Testament, it's icon. It's, it's an, an icon is a reflection of something else. And that's why it was forbidden in the Roman church. You see, but God has made you to be then an accurate representation, a perfect reflection of Himself, and it's a derived glory. It's a derived, it's the presence of God that you and I get to reflect back to Him. Now, God Himself behaving in us and living His life through us is this derived um, uh, presence of God. Now let me just share just a couple of words here. In John chapter 4, it says God is spirit. Now, God's more than spirit, but in John chapter 4 it said God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. If God is spirit then I suspect from what we just read in Psalm 8 and in, uh, in the first couple chapters here of Genesis, that if God is spirit, when He said, let us make man as a perfect reflection and manifestation of who we are, God was saying that, that He wants us to simply walk in this derived issue because God is spirit and He's looking for someone to embody all that He is, an accurate reflection and a perfect manifestation of God. Hello? God is spirit. How do you, how do you see spirit? What is spirit? From the natural sensory perspective, we can't touch it, we can't feel it, we can't taste it or smell it, we can't necessarily even hear it from a pragmatic perspective, but God has determined from the beginning of time that He would have a people uh, who would, that He would inhabit and that He would walk around on, in on the face of the earth. And beloved, it is you. God is spirit. God is also love. 1 John 4, 16. God is more than just spirit. God is love. God is more than just love, though He is. God is light, 1 John 1, 5. And see, the central purpose and what makes us normal people. Can you say normal? We don't know what normal is anymore. 
we presume, we presume that normal means all kinds of things. And whoever props up sort of the latest fad, well, normal must be that. No, normal is that when God created you and me, He created you to carry His presence, and He would express Himself as Spirit through you. He would embody love through you. He would allow you to be the light in you, to, to walk around and manifest accurately and reflect His presence to other people. That's who we are in creation. Now, one central purpose then is, to, is that God makes us normal to reflect His presence. Uh, and what I would w- like for you to understand is that that, well, from the perspective of God, when He created us and crowned us with honor and gave us His very image, breathing, if you will, His life into us so that you and I would become a... Well, the, the, the Bible uses the word vessel, or if you prefer, container. Now, what is true about a vessel is that if it is going to be filled with something, it must be emptied of something. And it's true for a container. If there's a cardboard box that's, you know, yo big, you can't put anything into it unless it doesn't have anything in it. Now, that sounds sort of derogatory, but from the perspective of God, God is trying to press his life into us and sometimes we're filled with a whole lot of other stuff now what are we filled with let's press through this genesis text and look at just a moment uh, if we can god wants uh, to release his life his love his presence in us and through us and it is a derived glory and it is derived image from his presence uh, but our our loss of purpose is seen when God made these original people to carry His glory and, and reflect His image. God said, well, you can eat of any tree in the garden. You know the story. I'm not going to spend lots of time there except this one. When you eat of this one called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, something so horrific will happen to, to, to my image in you Something so horrific will happen to the glory that I've, that I've crowned your head with. Something so unimaginably, unimaginably um, um, destructive would happen that the glory of God lifted and the image of God was fractured and we become a, a small token of who God is. And it's because you and I, like Adam and Eve, have eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we assume somehow that if I get more knowledge about God, if I can be a little better in my behavior, that somehow God, His glory and His presence will return. And that's not true. You see, what is true is that God has to be everything in me because I am simply a vessel or a container. Now, we're going to wind this forward to the New Testament here in just a a second. But let me uh, sort of do a transition here. Um, The loss of peace, the loss of original righteousness, uh, the loss of of everything that God intended for you and for me to be was lost when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, in the day that you eat of that, you will, you'll die. That there would become a separation so wide, a gulf so, 
so big that we could not fully even understand it. You see, sin then is this. See, what is sin? That's the question. And what happened when they, Adam and Eve, said, I think I want to eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What is sin? Sin is this. This is my sort of simplistic definition. Sin is trying to derive meaning from what I know or what I do and not deriving the totality of my meaning and glory from God Himself. Now, we put all kinds of other labels on it if you do this or if you don't do that. And there's some truth to that. Those are symptoms of sin. But sin, when we look at it in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 here, is that, is that they wanted to derive their uh, identity from what they knew or what they did or what they didn't do. They'll know I'm a Christian because of what I don't do. You see how that goes? Although they'll know I'm a Christian if I, if I look this way or go these places or don't do these things. And the fact of the matter is, sometimes that's simply just eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now let's press this forward just a little bit. If you come to Jesus, the life of Jesus, we begin to find something that's very shocking about Him. And as you know, the Bible makes this these overarching connections. The first Adam uh, was made of the earth and he fell, uh, and he lost his original righteousness. He lost the, 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 the presence of God, the glory of God. The image of God was marred and broken at best. And this second Adam, God sends now another person who is the perfect man. He's God-man, to be sure. But Jesus steps into the realm, and he's a little bit different. Now, the very first thing we find about Jesus is that everybody scratched their head and said, Who is this? Who is this man? He does things that no one has ever done before. He speaks with authority and not like the religious folk. He commands demons and they leave. You see, this Jesus was very much different than anybody else. And what we find that was different about Jesus is that in John chapter 5, verse 19, uh, we read these words, and I'll simply paraphrase, Jesus didn't do anything unless He saw the Father doing it. Now what does that mean? That means that His, his glory was a derived glory. Get that. You see... What Je Jesus didn't do anything unless He saw the Father doing it. Jesus and the, the image of God in His humanity was that He wouldn't do anything unless His Father was doing it in Him. The image of God, the glory of God was on Jesus and He was an accurate reflection of the Father, so that, he said to uh, Philip, I believe it was, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, I point out Jesus to say that in the new covenant then, in Jesus, God draws each of us back to a place of understanding of who we are and who Jesus is and how we're then uh, to walk. Um, let me look here at a, another concept with you. And that is that now as Jesus, Jesus was a vessel. Jesus was a container. 
He was the incarnation to be sure of God, but he laid all of that aside, Philippians tells us, uh, chapter 2, and he took on the form of a servant, a suffering servant, Isaiah 53, and Jesus allowed himself to go to a cross and pay the penalty because Jesus died for our sin and in our place. And this, this God-man then, Jesus, was the perfect container and the perfect vessel, and he carried the treasure of God around. Now, l- let me look, look with me at Acts chapter 9, verse 15, real fast. We find of the Apostle Paul, the very first time that the ascended, the resurrected and ascended Jesus goes into heaven, the very first thing that anybody heard him say uh, was the Apostle Paul and he's, you remember, the religious man, the zealot he's out persecuting Christians he's on his way uh, to Damascus to raise havoc in the church and he met Jesus he heard Jesus uh, and he had this revelation of the risen ascended Jesus and here's what he said Jesus said to him in verse 15 of chapter 9 Jesus then speaking to Saul on the road to Damascus, he said, Go, for you are a chosen vessel for me. Now, so what am I trying to say? In original creation, we were vessels into whom God chose to breathe the spirit of life to animate us, if you will, the image of God was seen as a perfect reflection and manifestation through those whom He filled for His glory. We come to Jesus and we find that Jesus was the one who could ultimately and perfectly do that. And He was the reflection of the Father and He didn't do anything unless He saw uh, the Father doing it. And now we find that what he, Jesus, is speaking to Saul, who became Paul on the road to Damascus, is now you're a chosen vessel. What made Paul so unique? He saw himself as a vessel or a container for the glory and the presence and the reflection of God. Beloved, I think that's where this ultimately goes. Let's look at another text. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, um, this same Paul says this, It is God who is shown in our hearts. See, in the new covenant, when we're born of the Spirit, Jesus not only died for us to pay the penalty for our sin, not only did he die as us, he now lives in us and wants to, to show himself through us uh, to the world. And Paul is saying then, related to that, that's those second two issues, uh, in and through, that in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, it is God who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And verse 7 says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Beloved, we spend so much of our time trying to dress up the vessel, uh, trying to conform the vessel, 
uh, trying to change the container. I'm a little heavy. I need, God needs, you know. We spend so much of our time on, on vessel focus. And I believe that is the root sin of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, and, and God has broken that in us. And what God desires to do with each one of us is for us to recognize that we can't do anything by which God should be pleased with us. He has done everything. We sing the songs, we assent to the theology, but in function and in practice, we believe that it's really up to us. It's because we don't believe, in some cases, the fullness of the gospel of what Jesus has already done for us. You see, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Um, in other words, you're chosen by God to be a vessel and to be a container carrying the treasure of God in and of yourself, being an accurate reflection and a perfect manifestation of His presence. That is, God now in you, living as you, and everything you do, it's God doing it through you. Now, the ultimate purpose can only be realized... Uh, through God, through um, God experiencing Himself and expressing Himself uh, through each of our actions. Let me illustrate it as we start to start to close here. You are a lamp, a vessel, a container that was made for a specific purpose. If you're a lamp, you were made for the purpose of giving light. Without fuel. You will never fulfill your purpose. The fuel is the presence of God. Uh, to put it another way, not, you're not a lamp, uh, but you're a car. <clears throat> and a car cannot fulfill its function unless it's filled with gas or diesel, depending. You see, and so it is with each one of us. Human beings are designed for the presence of God, and without the indwelling presence of His Spirit, we are simply empty vessels or we are people that are spinning our wheels trying to be religious hoping that somehow God will love me. God already loves me so much that He sent Jesus to take the penalty that I deserve to set me free from my sin, my eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and He loves you and me enough that He actually says, I want to now come by my Spirit and live in you, and I want to walk around in your body. Can you believe that, Don? God wants to walk around in our bodies. That's the Christian life. And anything less than that is just being religious. I don't know about you, but I'm not all that impressed with just being religious. I want to so understand God's amazing love for me that He actually has chosen me from the foundation of the earth. Beloved, that is who you are. Now let me ramp this thing up here. God specifically made humans to display His image, an accurate reflection and a perfect manifestation and represent His glory to everybody around you. You see, we are made to contain the treasure of His presence, His righteousness. Without the indwelling presence of Jesus, without the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we cannot produce righteousness. Now let me read a couple of Scriptures, and we'll hear from Anne. 
Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we all are like an unclean thing, and all of our acts of righteousness, all of them in their totality, every good thing that you can ever produce in your own strength, the prophet Isaiah says, they're just like soiled rags. You don't like that any more than I do. Because my flesh likes to eat from the knowledge, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Romans 3.10 says, but there is none righteous. No, not even one. Now what he's saying here is that not, we're not bad people. We simply partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we're trying to fill up our container with trying to be good enough and we can't. There's nobody righteous, not just one. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. What do we don't understand about all? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now here it is. The gospel only represents the finished work of the cross. The death, the burial, and the resurrection is all you really need for God to be absolutely pleased with who you are. That's revolutionary. That is transformational at its core. Jesus is everything to me. He is my life. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, Because of Him, God the Father, you are in Jesus Christ, and Christ is in you, who became for us wisdom. He became for us righteousness from God. He became for us sanctification from God. He became for us redemption from God. Therefore, let him who boasts, therefore, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why? Because you and I are simply hollow reeds, containers or vessels to transparently declare the presence, the glory, and reflect and represent the image of God every place you go. Jesus paid it all. Therefore, all to Him I owe. So sin had left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And beloved, when in order to be filled with the presence of God, <clears throat> we need to empty ourselves of everything that's impeding that fullness. Some of us are so analytical. We're afraid that if we don't understand everything... I saw that. <laughs> we're afraid that if we don't understand absolutely everything, we're not going to get in. It's not about you understanding everything. It's not about you being strong. It's about you being weak and empty and then allowing God to live His life by the Spirit of Jesus in you and through you. Pastor Jim, bring the mic over here, if you would. Do you have a word for us? Yeah. Right here is a microphone, and Pastor Jim's going to let you hold it. I'm about to jump off my seat. And my well, you just way. jump. Look in your Bible to Exodus 34. You know, Moses had that same problem of knowing what God's glory looked like. 
he bit up on the mountain and brought down the Ten Commandments. And he says, God, what does your glory look like? And God said, I'll meet you on the mountain in the morning. And in Exodus 34, so if we're going to reflect God, we know, need to know what he looks like. <laughs> and when you do this, you'll look like God. And in the fifth chapter... Let me hold that. You okay. can read. And, the, and this is out of the... Uh, NIV. Mm -hmm. NIV, which is not my favorite Bible, but this is what it says. God came down off of the mountain, and then the Lord came in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, mm. abounding in love and faithfulness, uh, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, forgiving, uh, can't see now, uh, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And so when we walk around being compassionate, we look like Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, when we, I can't see now with my glasses on. Um, you read it out of your Bible, it's probably better. Compassionate, and when we're gracious, especially in traffic, and slow to anger, when you live with a man for 36, 63 years, abounding in love and faithfulness to neighbors that, you know, may not be just what you want, then you'll look like Jesus. And then the whole world will be filled with his glory. Thank you, Ann. Thank you, Ann. You see, beloved, from Genesis all the way into the book of Revelation, God had a purpose for his people. And his purpose was to fill us, for us to be containers for his glory. And the purpose of Jesus coming was to demonstrate that we could do it. Not in our strength, but he now living in us, Christ in us, Anne, is the hope of glory. Glory restored to men and women who have previously eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God restores us fully and comes in and lives his life completely in us and through us. The key, the, the key, the interpretive key, I think, to all of life is to let God have full control of my life. If you are still living in control, you have fear and you've not been complete in His love. That's what 1 John 4 says. God, when we, when we lose our control and let God live big in us, we are filled with Him. And that's what he's after. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for giving us an opportunity to declare the good news of the gospel that it's not about us, it's not about our performance. It's really not about any of those things that we've tried to make it. It really is completely and solely and fully about you. Paul said we have this treasure, the presence of God, contained in the vessels um, of, of earthen vessels. So, Father... Uh, would you bless your people today? You already have, Lord. Would you enable them to cease from all of their own striving? Begin with me, Father. 
Would you cause us to rest? Lord, would you drain out of us anxiety of feeling like we don't measure up? Would you remove from the hearts of each one of us any guilt or any shame? Jesus took it all, and all to him we owe. Father, would you begin in these just last quiet moments here to begin to rearrange whatever you need to rearrange in us, where we're holding on so tightly and trying to figure things out. God, I just recognize that I can't, but I trust you, Jesus, and I know that you can. Beloved, take a moment and just breathe in the goodness of God. Exhale all of the worry and the anxiety, the difficulties in trying to make everything work out. God is in control. God is in the house. God is in your house, willing and working out his good pleasure. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed. Father, would you give us a fresh revelation of your amazing love to each of us. Lord, would you give us a fresh revelation of the grace of Jesus dying for us, dying as us, living in us and living through us. God, would you capture our hearts afresh with the full measure of your Spirit so that we might live only for the praise of your glory. So God, bless your people and encourage them, fill them afresh so that they might walk fully confident that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly all and above all that we ask or even think in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of our prayer team and elders will be here in front. If you'd like special prayer, I invite you to come. God bless you. And have a wonderful day today with the recognition that every place you go, God goes with you. God bless you. Have a great day.